Eagles Entertainment. The journey to the draft is driven by AAA. AAA roadside is their strong side. Make AAA a part of your game day today. AAA, go ahead. With the 21st pick in the NFL draft, the Philadelphia Eagles select. You're listening to the Journey to the Draft podcast. Welcome to the Journey to the Draft podcast, driven by AAA. I'm your host, Fran Duffy, and we've got another week here of college football action to break down. Can't wait to jump in here with Dane Brugler and Ben Fennell at the very top in Saturday Scouting. We're going to talk about all the top takeaways from this weekend in college football. There were a bunch of really good games over the weekend. We'll talk about it all right here at the top. After that, we're going to go to On the Clock, where Chris McPherson, once again, going to join the show. We're going to talk about the best tacklers at the cornerback position in this draft. So we'll talk about some physical DBs there in that segment. After that, we're going to debut a new segment here on the show, one that I can't, we kind of have been workshopping over the course of the last couple of months, and we're ready to debut it now. It's called Scout Stories, and we're, each week I'm going to catch up with an Eagles scout, talk to them about a member of the Philadelphia Eagles football team and what those guys were like coming out of college and try and give you some kind of takeaway, some kind of lesson with that player in terms of their transition from college to the NFL. So we're going to do that with our scout story segment and then after that we'll answer a question from you at home in our draft mailbag before we get things going here let's real quick just a real quick reminder best way to throw us your support if you like these segments you like us going two week uh, two podcasts a week if you've got a mock draft we're going to do one of those later in the show go on to apple Podcasts or stitcher leave us a rating leave us a comment if you put your question in there if you put your mock draft in there if you want to hear us talk about a specific player you throw it in there i promise you we will talk about it so that is the best way to throw us your support as we keep going here we're in october it's the meat of college football and we've got the big 10 coming the pac-12 is on the way the mac the mountain west everybody's coming back into the fold here this college football season so make sure you go on leave us that comment and we will answer it with if you leave us a question we will answer it here on the show all right that being said let's jump right in now it's time for saturday scouting it's time for saturday scouting Well, let's get things going here at the top, and we're going to give out our game balls in a second. Obviously, the, the big news, I would say, in college football, Oklahoma goes down for the second week in a row. They lose to two unranked opponents in consecutive weeks, so they are outside the top 25 for the first time in a long time. Uh, you know, uh, Kevin Sumlin, the head coach at Arizona, uh, announced right before recording that he has tested positive for COVID-19. Bobby Bowden, uh, legendary head coach of Florida State, he has also tested positive for COVID-19. Uh, so, you know, prayers out to both those guys and their families, hopefully, uh, every Everyone can stay safe and stay healthy um, as college football uh, continues going on. And we're going to get some good news here uh, in terms of more teams returning to the field. We got the Big Ten right around the corner. We're just a couple weeks away. Um, but, guys, let's talk about this week's action and who gets our game ball. Ben, I'm going to kick, let you kick things off here for us. Who gets your game ball uh, from this past weekend from the games that you watched? Well, it was un- under one of my matchups to watch. I wanted to see Chaz Surratt against Boston College, that big offensive line, full of NFL prospects, Zion Johnson, uh, Alec Lindstrom, Ben Petrula at right guard. You have uh, Coach Vrabel's son at right tackle, Tyler Vrabel. I think he's only a sophomore, but he'll probably end up being an NFL prospect. 
UNC is now 2-0, and up to number eight in the nation after beating Boston College. Chaz Surratt everywhere, though. Nine QB pressures, five QB hits, eight tackles, a TFL, a pass breakup. BC only ran for 40 yards. I thought he was all over the place, especially on third down, just being that kind of sub-rusher, tackling that underneath zone. Uh, he plays Virginia Tech this week, number 19, one of the few ranked first-ranked games. Really impressed with Chaz Surratt. He's played 140-something snaps in his two games as well, Nine not coming off the field. He's reminding me more and more of Bobby Wagner coming out of Utah State a few years ago. I, I, I'm interested, Ben. Who? What are the negatives with Ciroc? Because I, I, I'm with you. This dude, he's an NFL caliber athlete. He's well-built. He's got some length. High-volume tackler. Has the versatility to be a three-down player. Where do you think are the key areas where, where Surratt needs to get better? Well, in the same way, I kind of adored, you know, TJ Edwards coming out of Wisconsin. Chaz might run four seven five and not really wow you with the metrics or, you know, the underwear Olympics. I don't know if he's that burner athlete or that, you know, kind of gifted athlete in space that may you know, give you some hesitations, but I think his instincts and his recognition and his angles put him in position to be successful and his toughness, his just general physicality, his size, his strength. I mean, he's every bit of 230. So I'm not expecting him to be in this four, six range, but I'm just afraid we're going to get a little bit kind of lukewarm on him if he doesn't test for us. See, uh, that's funny. It's interesting because I felt I don't, I was not the exact opposite, but I, I was really, I was okay with his athleticism, especially straight line speed, like his range sideline to sideline. Like I was perfectly good with his athleticism. I actually think he's going to test really, really well uh, next spring, whether it's at the combine or pro day or whatever. But um, you know, he had, to your point, I thought he had a natural feel for working in traffic. And I thought you saw that ability. You talk about his angles to the football. I thought all that was there. He was just, in my opinion, like a step, a step slow to kind of key and diagnose. I thought uh, misdirection in the backfield kind of got him every once in a while. To me, the big thing, because again, this was his first year playing linebacker a year ago. Right. So, um, you know, this is a guy that's still relatively new to the position. My big thing was playing through contact, being able to finish as a tackler one-on-one as well. I thought he came in a little bit too hot, a little bit too often, too many missed tackles downhill. Last year, excited to dig into the tape uh, from this year. Everything I've seen from North Carolina so far, uh, watching them on TV, he's looked good. Uh, but this kid, he's impressive, guys. I mean, he's, he's absolutely – when you talk about three-down linebackers, Ben, you and I talked about that position at the end of last week. He's in, the, he's in that discussion as one of the best linebackers in this class for sure. And just to paint the full picture, Bobby Wagner was an elite tester, was an explosive tester, not only straight line, but the explosive stuff, the jumps as well. But it's more of the on-field presence, that quarterback of the defense, that playmaker laterally downhill, stepping backwards. That's why it kind of reminds me of Wagner. But Wagner was kind of a freak show coming out. I think he could be, man. I think yes, Sarah so could do I, yeah. I think I, he could. I, that that sack he had against Boston College, that that closing burst that he yes. showed, just yeah. I, I mean, I, I I I do think he might not be Wagner, but I do think he's going to test fairly well. I, I I think he's an NFL caliber athlete. Just just really impressed with him. So I maybe put too much value in some of the roles they get put in in college. That on third down in the ACC, you're up there near the line of scrimmage. You're that sub rusher, not being used in space, not turning and running, not getting matched up outside the numbers against tight ends. It tells me a little bit that's how their college staff feels about them. How's an NFL staff going to feel? You know, it's a little bit of that aesthetic going into it as well. I felt that they, it, that was more of a hey, like you're new to the position. Let's just cut right. you loose. Let's just let you go after the you know go quarterback hunting that kind of thing he's an he's an excellent blitzer 
Um, you know, that's why I actually ended up, I wrote down uh, Anthony Barr uh, watching him because, um, you know, kind of in that usage, like he's kind of got that similar build. He's kind of long and lean, uh, but also, you know, third down, hey, let's let's get him going, going after the quarterback. I wrote down Drew Tranquil as well um, from when he was coming out of Notre Dame. I think he's got a kind of similar build and similar athletic skill set, but he, he's a really, really impressive player. Um, Dane, let's transition to yours. Who's your game ball this week? So I went with Zach Wilson, quarterback, uh, BYU, through three games. This guy's completing 85% of his passes, 85%. He has almost as many touchdowns this year, 11, as he does incompletions, 12. That's ridiculous. And look, I understand Navy, Troy, Louisiana Tech, not exactly SEC-level defenses here, but 85%, that's, that's tough to do against anyone. And so Friday night against Louisiana Tech, that's as good as you're going to see uh, Wilson 24 for 26, 325 yards, two touchdowns, no interceptions. And he wasn't just tossing, you know, simple slants and screens. He's making NFL-level throws out there. Wilson's really interesting because I, I really liked him as a freshman, and then it seemed like he took a slight step back last year as a sophomore. Uh, I know he wasn't 100% healthy, and so that, uh, you know, contributed to that uh, last season. So I gave him a draftable grade over the summer, even though he, he wasn't at his best last year. And he looks even better this year. BYU, they've got that makeshift 10-game schedule this year. Uh, but if this keeps up, uh, he, he's going to have a tough NFL decision to make uh, after the season. He's, he's only a junior, so it's going to be interesting to watch. Ben, is this the uh, the Mormon Manziel? It is, it you is. You brought him yeah. up last year, yeah. Well, I did two games of his back-to-back last year. He beat Tennessee at Tennessee in overtime. Yeah. Comes back and beats USC the very next week. Was, Was he really- hurt at all? Was he? Was there? Because I felt like there there was some injury stuff with there with him because he he looked good, really good as a freshman. Then last year just seemed up and down for him. Yeah, I'm not sure if he was dealing with something in the games that I did. I know he runs around a ton, and you know occasionally right. has the the high ankle sprain and some lower body stuff. But really impressive this year, considering his senior tight end Matt Bushman is not there for him. Yep. They've already had some movement on the offensive line. The Notre Dame transfer Tristan Hodge played week one, looked great. Now he's out for COVID. Now they have some other really intriguing offensive linemen that I think are NFL-type players, but just obviously not tons of weapons on the outside. Really impressive what he's doing. I think he's a really good mix of arm strength and athleticism. I hate to go to that Mormon Manziel kind of moniker that's uh, caught fire, but that really is kind of what he looks like right now. I have not studied him at all, so I have, like, no feeling. And and I haven't really watched any BYU. I think outside of that game that you did last year, the second game that you did, Ben, I haven't watched BYU on TV at all. Um, So, yeah, I I have no no feeling whatsoever. You'll be watching some of these old linemen, maybe not this year, but next year for sure. Mm -hmm. I think their center and uh, Brady Christensen are probably NFL players. They uh, and they just added Boise State to their schedule this year, so and San Diego State. So those two games will certainly help give them a, a little bit more of a test uh, later in the season. And not to mention, that's an awesome program, by the way. They do not care. They'll play anybody anywhere. I know they're that independent, and they kind of have to take flyers randomly around the country. They are a tough, tough team, and I know you get some guys on missions and some older guys here and there. But, man, they will battle you, and they'll hang with some SEC teams and whoever wants to face them. Well, we just got done talking uh, Fred Warner all week last week uh, as the Eagles prepared to take on the 49ers. We know the kind of talent they can produce in that program. Uh, for my game ball, guys, I don't know if you guys had a chance to watch SMU and Memphis. Um, this was an absolute barn burner. And Reggie Ro- Robertson, the wide receiver, the speedy receiver, we've talked about him uh, from SMU, West Virginia transfer, Best deep ball receiver in the country outside of Jalen Waddle, potentially, um, you know, in terms of his ball tracking skills. And, and he's obviously the long speed. 
We saw everything in this game. I mean, five catches, 243 yards on five catches. He had a 70-yard one where he uh, it was a deep ball where he caught it and then just pulled away from everybody late. Then he had an 85-yard catch and run where he juked the corner out of his shoes and it took off down the sideline. And then he had another big one where he went down after trying to cut. It was a left knee injury, um, non-contact. And I actually didn't – I put it on my notes to see if they made an announcement because they did not make an announcement by the time I was doing it. Uh, and, yeah, there's still – it doesn't look like there's any – yeah, look, there's no news yet as of this recording on Reggie Robertson. So it didn't look good. He left the game. Um, you know, and, again, it was a non-contact kind of cut. So, you know, hopefully it's not a, you know, a, any kind of torn ligament there. Um, but remember, this guy also missed the last five games last year with a foot injury. He's six foot. He's right around 200 pounds. He's a little bit on the, uh, you know, he's a, he's a stocky kid, uh, but this guy is a pure burner. If, he, if he's healthy, no reason why I think he would not be a day two pick, you know, in my mind. Now, oh, if, yeah. you're, if you're talking, uh, you know, foot injury in, in 2019 and then a potential knee injury that's uh, season ending here in 2020, that could affect that. But this guy's ability is outstanding. And those two touchdowns, Saw plenty, plenty of juice on those two plays. Yeah, 243, 126 after the catch, which Great. isn't typically how he makes his money. He's normally an over-the-top guy, but he took, a, I think, just a little catch-and-run, wicked move after the yep. catch. Literally shook that corner like three or four yards of separation there. He really reminds me of a Torrey Smith type of player. Yeah, I could wow. see that. I could definitely it, see that. And to your point, it's it's not just the speed. It's You don't see drops on his film. It's very reliable. The tracking skills – I mean, really impressive. I I think he has an excellent chance to be a top 100 pick as long as he's healthy. At over under 4.40 in the 40. I'm going to take the under as in faster. I, I think okay. I think that the, the, and it won't be. I don't think he'll be low four threes, but it would not shock me if again if healthy and knock on wood uh, if he went four three eight four three nine like somewhere in that range. Because upon first watching him in the summer, I was like, oh, you know, he might be like low four fours. And by this point, we're we're splitting hairs anyway. But you see that play, um, you know, that, that first touchdown, not the one where he juked the guy, but that first touchdown over the top, he just pulls away from everybody. And, and yeah, you and just that, see, like, yeah, I mean, that's long speed, man. And that was TJ Carter, who has a, a shot at getting drafted late uh, from Memphis. So it's not like he was just separating from a bum. I mean, he, he was separating from a, a guy that's got a shot at the league. So, yeah, that explosive top gear is something else. Hey, while we're here and talking about SMU, Shane Bouchel, the Texas transfer, has been the one throwing a lot of these passes down there. Anything in his game you can see him maybe being a late-round flyer here? I feel like I have a lot of these quarterbacks kind of lumped up here with this kind of late day two, early day three, whether it's Kenny Pickett or Kyle Trask or even Mac Jones. Just trying to figure out if anyone's separating themselves this year. Any of you guys watch Shane Bouchel yet? He's tough. Like, like yeah. just watching him on TV, like his toughness as a runner and in the, in the pocket stood out to me. I have not done a, a deep dive on him yet. Um, so everything that I've seen is kind of like surface level. Um, I know he's small. He's like 6'1", 205. Yes. He has that right. Nick Mullins kind of look and feel to him. But looks like he sees the field pretty well and can really anticipate and put it out there when he needs to. We obviously just saw Brett Rippon win a game for the Broncos last Thursday. Similar type of uh, height, weight, speed, arm strength type of prospect. Yeah, the, my started, started his career at Texas as well for those right. who, uh, for the listeners at home. Really mobile athlete. Yeah, my big issue with him is just I want to get him outside that SMU offense. It, yeah. It's just so many quick, predetermined throws. Uh, and when it's not there, that, that first design throw, it, he really feels the heat. And he speeds up his decisions, throws off his accuracy. 
it really starts to clam up when the when the pocket closes in. So for Bouchelle, it's going to be really important for him to go to the Shrine game or the Senior Bowl and, and show what he can do down there. But nice little three-headed attack with uh, Roberson, Bouchelle, and uh, Ulysses Bentley, who we've mentioned a couple That's times right. here as well. Yeah, and Bentley should be seeing more reps too because the kid ahead of him, McDaniel, uh, got hurt in this game. So expect to hear more of Bentley here in the future. Um, all right, let's get to our one-play takeaway. Uh, one play that stood out most from the weekend, and uh, Dane, we'll go to you first because I know the guy that you want to talk about is maybe one of the most highly anticipated games of the weekend, and that's North Dakota State quarterback Trey Lance. Yeah, I, I bought ESPN Plus just for this game. Uh, <laughs> that would be expensive. Nice. <laughs> uh, that's, those, that's $6. Uh, so, yeah, much anticipated. It's a one-game showcase uh, for Trey Lance. It's just it's so, so strange because you're getting ready. For, it's like you're getting ready for the season opener and the season finale at one time. And it's just it's so many emotions had to be going through uh, these kids' minds and uh, everything. So just a really strange atmosphere. Uh, there was obvious rust uh, for, for Lance as a passer. He finished 15 of 30, 149 yards, two touchdowns. Looked great as a rusher. Uh, he led the team with 15 carries, 143 yards, two touchdowns. So four total touchdowns in the game. Uh, Lance said it's the biggest he's ever been. He's really worked on developing his body. He looks like a solid 225, if not more. But yet the speed hasn't suffered either. So really impressive uh, him as a runner and just moving around. Now, as a passer, touch, accuracy, really up and down over the first three quarters. But the fourth quarter, that's what I want to talk about. He looked like he really settled in by the fourth quarter, and that's when he played his best. He was four or five, 56 yards, and he had a touchdown, and that's when it mattered the most. My one-play takeaway was actually the one incompletion that he had in the fourth Mm. quarter. He threw a perfectly thrown ball 50 yards down the field, uh, down the sideline, and Christian Watson, his favorite target, should have been six points, but the ball bounced right off his hands, incomplete pass. But that was a beautiful throw, and I think really showed a lot of his talent and what he can do as a downfield passer. So the, the, the Trey Lance discussion, uh, it requires so much context and nuance because it's just such a unique situation if he declares for the 2021 draft. But uh, if the listeners want to know what all the fuss is about – uh, they're going to look at that 15 for 30 and immediately start making conclusions. But just go watch that fourth quarter of that game. The talent is undeniable. It's just he's going to need some time to put it all together. So let me ask you this question because I, I feel like this is the most important one. And Dan, uh, Ben and I talked about this late last week on the episode. Coming out of this game, do you feel the same about Trey Lance? Do you feel better or worse? How do you feel about Trey Lance coming out of this matchup? the same I, I don't I don't really know how the needle could move all that much when you right. consider the context of the situation um you know it's just it's such a weird weird game and yeah there was some obvious rust but there probably should have been uh when you consider everything and I know it sounds like okay it's you know making excuses but that's just that's just how it is so uh he did throw his first career interception uh his first uh, his, I think it was 306 pass attempts uh before he threw an interception at the college level so this guy is just – hes he has so few games at, at the college level. This is, what, his 17th career game. Um, so there's just a lot he doesn't know at this point, and that's thats really the biggest thing. So as, if he feels ready, then he needs to go, and I still think he's going to be top 10, top 12 pick. Uh, but it's its going to take – it's going to be a challenge because it's such an unprecedented evaluation. 
really upset to see the interception streak uh, come to an end. But, yeah, that, that, we're not done talking yeah. about uh, Trey Lance for sure. It'll be no. one of the more interesting storylines over the next few months. Um, all right, let's go, let's go, let's go, go to mine next. Uh, watching the South Carolina-Florida uh, game. Uh, this was a game that I was actually at a couple years ago down in the swamp. And South Carolina, they had a corner down on the field uh, who was a backup at the time, and that's Israel Mukwamu. And I'm looking around, and you see um, you know, Debo Samuel and Javon Kinlaw and uh, you know, Florida had some offensive linemen and they had some young players that are still there and, you know, Kadarius Tony and those guys. But I go and I'm like, I'm looking at South Carolina's defensive backfield warm up. And I'm like, who is this guy? Why is Groot lining up and playing for <laughs> South Carolina this year? Six four, two hundred and five pound corner. And this, he became a starter last year. He started one game at safety, the rest at corner. He had three picks against Georgia. I watched him on film and this kid's toolsy. He moves well for a guy his size. Um, he still has a lot to clean up, especially in press coverage. And there, there are just a lot of things he's got to clean up without getting too deep into the evaluation. He made one of those other picks this week. I mean, the, the, he had an interception against Florida where he's going down to the ground and pulls it up with one hand for a guy that big at 6'4", 205. And that's like a legit 6'4", 205. For a guy that big to have the ball skills that he has and to not be a, a true stiff athletically, like this guy can move a little bit. He's going to be a deterrent to like basically any kind of over-the-top throw, any back shoulder throw, anything within his catch radius because he's got a unique catch radius. I mean, he's going to be a really intriguing player uh, moving forward. And I'm excited to, to, to continue to do more work on him. Um, very toolsy, very young still, very uh, unrefined. But uh, that pick uh, against Florida really, really stood out to me, Ben. You're 6'4", 205. How'd you even end up on the defensive side? I feel like you had one bad day on the jugs machine and the receiver <laughs> coach just said, DB room now. Right. Well, especially with those hats. Like, I literally, like, you know, and he, again, he had four picks last year. Three of them came in one game. Um, but he's And got, that one he game was against number one team in the country, Georgia, that they right. upset. And you have to remember, Ken Law was up Jake Fromm's butt on a lot of those picks, and some yep. of them were gimmies. But you saw the length. You saw the ball skills for sure. No question. And I was really impressed with him as a tackler, too. Um, you know, he, he's he's pretty good tackler for the position. And using that length, he can settle his feet. Um, but, yeah, just having that size immediately – uh, allows him to corral ball carriers like it's nothing. Any of those names yesterday uh, tickle your fancy there, Fran, whether it's Keith McGill or Stanley Jean-Baptiste or maybe Josh Harvey Clemens? Yeah, ben, they just give listeners a, a look inside. I tell you know these guys, oh, I'm going to pick Israel Mukwamu, and Ben's giving me all kinds of guff you know, comparing to these guys. I think he actually does move better than John Baptiste, who I believe he went second round, I believe, to the Saints, right? Yeah. Um, McGill, I think, went round six. You see a big six three, six four corner. Everybody I, gets excited yeah, out okay. there. I know, but this kid, he <laughs> he moves pretty well. Who knows? He, we went to go to the combine. He comes in at six oh two one or whatever. But this kid is long. He's tall. He's rangy uh, in ball skills for days. Uh, ben, what do you got for us here? All right, so full disclosure, I needed a reason to talk about this kid. He dominated the game against Baylor. That's West Virginia defensive tackle Darius Stills. I don't have a great one play because he dominated the whole day. He had three sacks, a bunch of run stuffs. He had a really nice sack on a stunt where he slow played it. Then you saw the bend, the burst around the corner, the closing speed where he just tripped up the cornerback and he had to kind of chase him outside the pocket. Really interesting player. He was Phil Steele's. Big 12 preseason defensive player of the year. He was a first team all Big 12 last year. Really good mix of run and pass. The only thing is his size. He's about 6'1", 285 or so. But we've seen enough guys at that height and weight succeed. You know, particularly guys like Aaron Donald and Geno Atkins. I think he looks a little bit like 
the Sheldon Richardson of the New York Jets early in his career coming out of Missouri, really explosive player, good pad level, violent hands, heavy handed, quick off the ball. He's a loose trench player. He'll chase plays out to the numbers. He'll bull rush you. He'll twist you. Oh yeah. He plays alongside his brother. So you constantly see right. number 55 and 56 making tons of plays. That's going to drive me nuts, man. It's going to, that's going to be so annoying studying him. I tweeted two months ago, I actually watched a game or two thinking stills was 55 and I watched his brother for two games. Dude, you do that every single year with somebody. <laughs> You know, Every it kind of just makes you laugh. You know it's coming. You know, you know it's coming. You're just kind of like, ah, it got me. That was the one. But he's a really fun player. And they play that funky 3-2-6 front where it's kind of like a 3-3-5 stack. And he gets put he, in some weird alignments. Yeah, he plays nose tackle a lot, right? Yeah, he's he's definitely uh, between the guards quite often. Uh, but once they get in that sub package, they'll move him around and do some cool twists and stuff. Just seems like a really interesting, explosive, athletic trench player. I'm excited to study him because he had a play against Oklahoma State, um, you know, earlier this season where it just so quick through the gap, able to break down in the backfield, make a play. I mean, he he, there is some quickness to him. I do wonder. I mean, is he really 285? Is he lighter than that? Can he can he hold up inside in the NFL? I still have some questions there, but yeah, he is an exciting player, and, and the flashes really get you excited for what he could possibly do at the next level he might be more in that like 275 range he's a guy that came in at about 260 and has been working his way up rather than the 300 guy working his way down so usually the bottom up guy is cheating the scale just a little bit on those team sites all right let's go to our next category here guys and we're going to our down the road freak show a freshman or sophomore that kind of caught our eye someone to file away from the future and dane we'll come to you first i believe it was last week it might have been the week before where you kind of couched it and you're like yeah, look, this guy, maybe not a freak show, but just someone to keep an eye on. This week, your candidate absolutely, I think, files into the category of freak show because he's one of the best underclassmen in the entire country. Yeah, it's not easy to go to an SEC school as a true freshman and lead the team in receiving. But so George Pickens did last year at Georgia. Uh, no more Jake Fromm, though. So that Georgia passing attack has really been uh, a little inconsistent so far. But I would say Stetson Bennett, uh, did a really nice job on Saturday leading Georgia uh, past Auburn. And so gave them a little bit more consistency. And uh, But, you know, Pickens, the stat sheet doesn't look great. He's got six catches so far in two games. But two of those have been touchdowns. And you can tell, man, this guy is special. He's the size. He can win vertically with the speed. And then the ball skills are outstanding. He does not yet have a drop at the college level. So, you know, the, the quarterback situation, we're, we're going to have to see. Is Stetson Bennett the guy? JT Daniels, do we know, uh, you know, when he's going to get on the field? Uh, but we do know they have a stud at receiver. True sophomore Pickens is legit. Georgia shocked he, me. I, I, didn't think, I didn't think that game was going to go that way. He got in the scrap last year against Georgia Tech and got tossed for fighting. Right. So he's, yep. he's a guy not afraid to back down if you give nice. him some uh, – He's a dog. Either. That's right. I, I didn't see that game going that way uh, with Georgia and Auburn, you know, especially in a blowout fashion. But – um, no, Pickens yeah. definitely, definitely a hey, guy. Hey, real quick, Fran, I just want to say, I think it was you, Dean, that said one of your breakout candidates was Zamir White for Georgia. He looks pretty good early as well. Yeah. He was giving me no Sean Moreno flashbacks with the Ooh. way he was running. Uh, just really aggressive, really violent, uh, quick feet. Uh, yeah, and I think Jordan Davis, I think, really stood out in that game as well. I mean, give Auburn did not look good at all on offense, but give that Georgia defense credit. Uh, I, I think with Jordan Davis up front, he also saw some snaps at the goal line. Uh, at number 99, yeah, right. he's just he, he is he played on offense, yes, yeah, yeah, on the goal line packages. So, just he, he is, is a house, he is an oh absolute my gosh, building. Yeah. I wrote and, down names like John McCargo, 
like uh, Steve McClendon, the biggest guys I could think yeah. of as far as NFL jersey. I used to say, man, that guy wears a giant jersey. He's just one of those guys, just a massive person, massive mm-hmm. human being. You know, yeah. and Devontae Wyatt next to him, number 95, another mm-hmm. interesting player, a little more juice to get up the field. Ben, who's, yeah, uh, who's your, who's your down-the-road guy this week? Well, this is going to be no secret. You led the show off with Oklahoma getting upset, and that was obviously due to Iowa State. Not so much Brock Purdy, but Brees Hall, the true sophomore running back, 28 for 139, two touchdowns, 120 yards out of that 139 after contact. And we just saw him break tackle after tackle after tackle. They couldn't get him down. 12 broken tackles. He's the leading rusher right now in the power five. He's a true sophomore. You saw the shakes, the wiggle, the contact balance, picking his feet up, not to mention dealing with a pretty serious left ankle injury, you know, to boot. And then just listen to some of the things he did last year, because this guy isn't a fluke. He had a huge year last year, 207 touches, no fumbles, 10 touchdowns, four 100-yard games, solid in pass pro, no sacks allowed on nearly 100 pass blocking snaps, 27 carries of 15-plus yards. That was the most among freshmen. Nearly 50 tackles missed, most among freshmen. Really, really intriguing player. It broke my heart to write down a 2001 birthday in my uh, prospect (laughs) sheet. He is a young kid, a true sophomore, but he looks very, very legit, for lack of a better word. I mean, they like I said, they could not tackle him, and so especially in the fourth quarter of that game, uh, you're wearing the defense down, and he, I mean, they, he carried them the victory. Uh, awesome and give him some credit because Oklahoma's defense has been getting kind of ragged on, like they're somehow not worthy of people's attention and respect. There's some dudes on that defense on every layer of the defense, so give some credit to these guys on the other side making plays for themselves. Uh, I'm going to go to one of the earlier games in the afternoon, and that's uh, Alabama um, going up against Texas A&M. John Mechie, uh, you know, I think a lot of people, you know, we knew about Devontae Smith. We knew about Jalen Waddle. We said, all right, these are the guys that, um, you know, the, these are the guys that we can count on, uh, to, you know, to be the receivers here for Mac Jones. Who's going to step up? Who's going to be next year's Devontae Smith and Jalen Waddle? John Mechie comes out, five catches, 181, two touchdowns in this game. Opening touchdown to put them up 7-0. That was like 70-plus yards. He showed the speed to pull away from the defense there. He made another leaping catch downfield to set up a Najee Harris touchdown and set them up for 14-0. And then he runs a post route late. It was a perfect play call, Ben. It was a quarters beater, like picture perfect. Um, You had the inside route, and he ran the deep route against the outside leverage corner and, and took it to the house for a long touchdown again. Five catches, over 180 yards, led the team in receiving, two scores through the air. Uh, John Mechie, true sophomore, not eligible for this year, but uh, a guy certainly we will be talking about uh, in the coming years. I know he's from Canada, and there was a Youth Canada team that blew the doors off of the U.S. team. It was like an under-16 team, and I wonder if he was on it because Chubba Hubbard was the star for Canada, and I wonder if Mechie was also a receiver for that Canadian team. Same, Same kind of age. Canada, we're just churning out guys every year. They had the uh, the Oklahoma D tackle last year as well. Yeah, Neville um, Gallimore, yeah. Neville Gallimore, yeah. They yeah, chase Claypool. Claypool. It's a great one. Yeah, there's uh, they're turning out some candidates up north. Um, all right, let's go to our uh, film room recap. Dane, uh, I'll go to you first here. So I went with Kerry Vincent, who uh, you know, with him opting out, I, I finished his uh, report uh, pre combine, and I, I just I don't know. I, I thought I'd like him more because you know, you're talking about a nickel corner who played a little safety. The the coaches really were flexible with how they used him. Seemed like they added more and more to his plate, which is usually a good sign. Uh, plays both man, zone. 
Uh, he's a, he, he might uh, run the fastest time at the combine. I mean, he's legit. Uh, could get under 4-3, uh, you know, the late uh, 4-2s. He has that type of ability. Uh, I think he plays with confidence. Uh, college production was adequate. But, it, it, I mean, I, it, you and I, Fran, were thinking the same thing. It looks like he's a track athlete playing football out there. He's making business decisions as a tackler. Uh, just doesn't have that fiery aggressiveness in his, in his play. Uh, the reaction skills, the play strength, they're just they're not on the same level as his athleticism and so I think that he's probably going to be overdrafted because he's such a good athlete the speed is there uh but to me he looks more like a backup than a guy you want to stick in there as a nickel corner from day one and and say uh you know don't don't let us down out there kid you know the weird thing I write down Dean like because he's obviously a blazer but I wrote down does he have instincts for the safety position a lot of time he looks unsure of his reads and keys and he can't ever get to that full speed so if you're yeah. not sure and you can't trust yourself, you're going to be a you know a Demarcus Van Dyke of the world running four two nine and out of the league in three years. Right. Are you listing them with your corners or your safeties? Corner, just because I, the size, I, I I have a hard time listing him as you know a safety that's 180 pounds. So yep. he'll be a corner, but he's you know a nickel corner who has got a lot of question marks so i think the best uh, case know. scenario is like a ladarius webb style of career being that really undersized guy at a nickel state or wherever he came from was that corner and kind of that free safety hybrid he had really surprised edge, he he opted out you know yeah. i he came back for a senior year and you know decided to opt out when he really could have really could have helped himself with with a strong year uh playing both inside outside being more consistent and you know, I, I don't know if, you know, he saw Derek Stingley on the other side and said, okay, I'm going to get a lot of targets over here. Maybe I shouldn't do this, but uh, just was not really blown away with his tape like I, I thought I might be. Ben, how about you? What's your film room uh, recap here? Uh, two guys just want to touch on. Uh, Miami Hurricane edge rusher Quincy Roche. Uh, really productive this year. He's up to 11 quarterback pressures, two sacks, coming off a dominant year last year with 68 pressures and 13 sacks for Temple. But the more I watched him, I watched his Florida State tape, he's a much more technical pass rusher than I gave him credit for at Temple. He could win outside of you, inside of you, or through you. And I put up two clips on Twitter against that Florida State left tackle. Really good hand usage to get himself on that high side edge, winning with speed and the closing speed. And then a little club swim move back inside, getting to the quarterback just as he threw right there. I love a multiple pass rush plan edge rusher where he can win multiple ways using his hands. Fran, you hate when I see those guys that aren't using their hands getting around the corner because in the NFL, you have to have a plan. You have to have counter moves. You have to use your hands. You have to have a good first step. I think Roche has all that. And then just this morning when I was watching this West Virginia defense, I forgot Arizona linebacker Tony Fields transferred over to West Virginia. It was one of the late transfers in the summer. He looks like he's up to speed on that defense. He's making plays all over the place. He's a middle linebacker on early downs. He's a sub rusher on third down. He'll guard backs and tight ends out of the backfield. He'll rush the quarterback or spy him. Physical, physical player. About 6'1", 220, athletic, explosive, physical, really fun player. I'm not sure where he fits in the linebacker pecking order right now, but he's a guy I know the senior bulls had their eyes on. I hope to see him down there in Mobile. 
Yeah, it would be really interesting. Obviously, one of the, the top transfers, I think, uh, you know, in this class. Well, it was guys, a late process. I would say it was like yes. July or something he joined yep. West Virginia. It was. Yeah, Arizona, I think, had a couple late guys that uh, ended up transferring over late in the offseason. As they were uh, figuring out their season and whatnot. Yep. Yeah, exactly. So, uh, guys, stay right where you're at. It's time for our next segment, one of our favorites to do every single week. It's time now to go on the clock. On the clock. All right, well, let's make things interesting here. We're, we're back for another on-the-clock segment. And just to uh, catch everybody up, again, this segment is all about Dane, Ben, and I really getting a chance to pound the table for specific players every week in a category that uh, is my choosing every single week. And this week, we're going to talk about who our favorite tacklers are at the cornerback spot. And we're going to really try and sell who we feel is the best tackler in this class. And right now, the scoreboard, Dane's got two wins. Ben and I each have one win, so uh, a very tight race right here. Now, the way that this week worked, Ben got the first pick. I got the second pick. Dane rounds it out uh, with the third. So with that being said, Ben, I will let you kick things off here. You had the first pick in terms of who is the best tackling corner in this class. Who'd you go with and why? Well, I think this is going to be right up C-Max Alley here because the player I'm talking about – just fits that Philadelphia pedigree at corner, the Eric Allen, the Troy Vincents, the Sheldon Browns of the world. You know, you don't hit on the outside, you don't play. And I think that's what you get from a lot of these Georgia defensive backs, particularly this young, true junior, Tyson Campbell. He's big, he's long, he's 6'2", about 185, with an absolute physical mean streak on the outside. That's taken on blocks, shedding blocks from receivers, tackling ball carriers, running backs, perimeter action, very physical player. Reminds me a lot of the way Marlon Humphrey was at Alabama. Maybe had some questions finding the ball down the field, but you knew off the bus, waking up in the morning, you're getting a great physical football player that you can trust to be a force defender down there in the flat and that can help out in the run, not afraid to blitz, really competitive player. I really like Tyson Campbell, Seaback. Ben, how have they utilized him? You, you mentioned uh, not afraid to blitz. How have they utilized Tyson Yeah, Campbell? they don't play a lot of corners over, so he'll hang on that closed formation quite a bit. Well, they'll blitz him every now and then. Uh, they'll play some cover, too, where he can kind of just bump and run guys. Uh, but he kind of fits that prototypical cover three corner. He looks like he'd belong in that Seattle scheme where you really want him bailing in cover three or playing that press man. But I think he's versatile. I think he could play a number of different positions and being that longer, lankier guy, I think he could match up with some longer move tight ends as well, maybe out in the slot like those Zach Ertz's or Tyler Eifert's of the world. But really physical player. He's athletic. He's loose. He's twitchy. But you have that physical mean streak at the end of the day. Also one of those kids that came over from American Heritage down there in Florida with like Marco Wilson, Patrick Sertan, uh, really impressive player. Not to mention a state champion in the 100 meter and 200 meter so he has the speed the physicality the length really well-rounded corner ben coming in strong not overdoing it you know taking a little step back here it, yeah. was, it was quite interesting approach you know like a more, hey, hey, more hey, civilized hey. more mellow ben this week and, and he had a he had a great player you know because campbell is a, certainly a really good option uh with this category that being said c-mac i'm gonna go jump right in here with mine and you know to me you know when we talk about run defense at the cornerback position. You know, you typically see guys that are going to kind of fill in on the backside. Sometimes you'll see them set the edge sometimes, but typically they're just kind of in a cleanup role, right? But if you play in the slot, 
you are going to be much closer to the action. And to me, when I look at Sean Wade, who was a corner that we brought up, Ben argued for him as the top man-to-man corner in this class a couple of weeks ago, we, what was the big knock that we had on Sean Wade? Oh, well, you know, in tar- terms of man-to-man, he's the only one that hasn't proven it on the outside. In this conversation, however, I feel that that experience on the inside really benefits him because not only is Sean Wade able to come down and he's going to, if he could finish one-on-one in the flat, that's, sure, you know, that's for sure. But when you're talking about a guy who's 6'1", 195 pounds, that's a very good size for any corner, much less a slot corner. C-Mac, back in that conversation, I compared him to Bobby Taylor. I compared him to a young Namdi Asamoah who was a safety coming out of Cal. I think when you look at Sean Wade, some people may view him as a safety because of his ability to come downhill and finish. He's very, very aggressive as an edge setter, which is something that he was asked to do much more often than some of these other guys that we're talking about, you know, in that scheme because he was closer to the action. He's playing with the linebackers. He's playing behind defensive ends. He's willing to scrap with tight ends and more than held his own at the point of attack. He's a very technically sound run defender as well. Very good tackler. He wraps up. He's got good play strength at all areas across the board, and he's got the ability to get his guy to the ground on a consistent basis. And overall, just a very tough, competitive kid. That showed up not just in man-to-man, but also as a tackler as well. So I think when you look at Sean Wade with what he was asked to do, that comfort playing in traffic, I think that that's really, to me, spells a, a guy that can be the best tackler at the quarterback position in this class. Interesting. because This is a, very similar to last week's debate about the best pure pass rusher. Okay, We're not you know, judging someone who's going to be in on rundowns per se. We're looking at one specific trait. So that's why this is very, very interesting, you know, crystallizing this to just their tackling ability. Dane, you're up, buddy. All right, so I'm similar to kind of what Fran was talking about with the inside uh, corner and just the versatility that brings, especially in run support, because you can't play inside if you're not good in run support. Elijah Molden, 5'10", 190-pound nickel corner at Washington. Not only did he lead the Huskies in tackles last season, but he ranked top five in all of college football among cornerbacks in tackles. And I think what I really liked about Molden is when I was studying other Pac-12 players – that number three jersey kept showing up in run support. So Penny Sewell or Michael Pittman, Justin Herbert, uh, to me, that's the mark of a really good player when you're studying other guys and it's someone else that keeps popping the pads and then popping on film. And I think maybe the best selling point I can, I can add about Molden is, and this will help give you a visual. When I talk to West Coast scouts about, about Molden, the name Buddha Baker always comes up. Uh, and obviously the Washington connection. And he might not be as athletic in coverage, But in run support, they are so tenacious. Uh, Tackling, it's not just about striking or wrapping, which you can do both those things, but it's about putting yourself in position to make the stop. And that's how Molden is like Baker. They're both incredibly eager, but they also had that unique skill where they can give blockers the slip and arrive at the ball ahead of schedule. It's like he's a chess player. He's looking past what's immediately in front of him and making plays a few moves ahead. So not only does the tape show that, but so does the analytics. According to PFF, Molden led all cornerbacks in tackles for a loss or no gain last season with 12. So if you're looking for a corner that you can rely on and run support, the tape and the metrics both agree Molden's your guy. Wow. Very, Dave, very do, you feel, do you feel that it's fair to say that he is the smallest in terms of like his build? I know that Campbell is listed. Ben, I believe he's listed like sub 190, right? But I think he's just at his length with his frame. I feel like he, by the time he steps on the field in the NFL – 
he'll be bigger than that. Do you feel like in terms of you know the, the, the potential, growth potential there for those guys that he's the smallest of the three? Of the three, no doubt. Tyson Campbell, he's he's got size. Wade's, you know, solid, six foot, just over 200 pounds. So, yeah, Molden does not have the size of those guys, but that's why I really hit on his ability to slip tacklers. Uh, you can uh, throw in the Penny Sewell tape, and his ability to just avoid him and, and make a stop really stood out. So because he has that specialized skill, I think some scouts are going to point to uh, a, a guy like Buda Baker who also doesn't have the size and say, show how they can get it done, and Molden can do, do just that. C-Mac, you want a kid from Oregon, you want a kid from North Florida, or do you want a kid from South Florida where they're just built a little different? That swagger waking up in the morning, just a little different, especially at defensive back. I'm just hey, saying, I, you know, I noticed that, you know, you guys didn't give any tackle numbers or, you know, like, I mean, my guys top five in, in the in the college football. I, I mean, I, I'm actually giving – I don't like to get caught up in playtime and participation because it's a bit of a rotational secondary out there in Georgia. So Tyson Campbell has not been on the field as much as Sean Wade and Elijah Molden, full disclosure. And that's because they're just running at Molden. They're running away from Sean Wade. They're, they're, <laughs> they're trying to keep the ball away from him as much as possible. Well, well played, well played. <laughs> This is a good one. This is a real good one. Uh, ben makes a great comparison with Sheldon Brown. Okay. I always think about being in the Superdome in New Orleans for that playoff game in 2006. Fran, I know you, you, you love your feisty physical corners. So certainly you have the very, very good draw there with Sean Wade. And Dane's got the numbers there with, with Elijah Molden. So, you know, I'm going to go, let's see, this, this is a real, a real toss up. You know, I could be lean and, and pulled in any direction. Uh, Dane, I'm going to give you the win here, okay? Yes. I always say between, you know, playing in the slot, playing close to the line of scrimmage, you know, bringing the numbers to the table, the Buda Baker comparison there. Uh, I, it was a good, compelling case. Good, compelling case. Now, here's the, here's a question I'll ask you this, Dane. Okay. Would, you have, would you have gone with Molden if you had the number one pick? Uh, well, honestly, it was funny Truth because we talked. Time. Truth serum time. No, no. We, 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 we talked about doing we DB, yep. and then it got switched to corner. And so by the time it was my pick, the first name that came to mind was Molden because he is that that nickel. Yeah, you know, he plays inside, so he sees a lot of uh, opportunities in run support, and he doesn't let you down. So, but I, I mean, I'm being totally serious about his ability to avoid tackles. It's it's really impressive and something that that really shows up. So, uh, I mean, no, I mean Molden. I, I, I don't know if I can – I mean, I think Sean Wade's a pretty good tackler, but if I had my choice, the number one pick, I do think Molden would have been my pick. In full disclosure, C-Mac, I had the first pick finally. I was very excited, but you know how it goes with me, first pick. Of course, I'm going to change the rules. It was supposed to be all defensive backs, and then I was wondering how are we going to compare these little corners and these big safeties and these former receivers and big linebackers. Let's just stick with corner to keep it a little more focused for you. I, I like it. No, it was, a good, it was a good discussion. Well, you know me. I'm always trying to bend the rules and find out, you know, which way to get a little leverage out there. And I, truth be told, too, I would have, if I had the first pick, I would have taken Tyson Cam. Like he is, he, his violence as a tackler is just, it's, he's fun to watch, like flat out. Like he is one of the most fun defensive backs to watch in this class. Uh, but this was a, a fun one because I feel like all three of these guys, like Dane, it was neck and neck for me between Sean Wade and Elijah Molden. Once, yeah. uh, you know, once Ben picked Campbell, uh, I really had a tough time picking up who of these, this group that I really like. Cause there were a couple other guys like, you know, I would have picked one of the Oregon kids as well. Um, you know, there's a couple in there that I feel really good about. 
uh, in terms of you know, for being a, a little lackluster on Sean Wade, he's shown up as a as one of these contenders for best tackling corner, best slot corner, best <laughs> yep. press man corner. Yep, he's a well-rounded player, man. Oh, this was a fun one, guys. Uh, Dane gets another W. We'll be back next week uh, to break down another category. Until then, thanks to all three of you for joining us once again here on the Journey of the Draft podcast, driven by AAA. Well, great stuff there from C-Mac, from Dane, from Ben. Hope you guys have enjoyed that segment. We're having a lot of fun uh, doing that segment each and every week. All right, I told you earlier, we were going to debut a new series here on the Journey to the Draft podcast. It's called Scout Stories. And this week, we're going to talk about Eagles defensive end Brandon Graham. He obviously came out a former first-round pick out of the University of Michigan. I talked with a guy who has been here with his Eagles personnel staff for a long time, and that's the senior director of college scouting, Anthony Patch. He was here in the building when the Eagles drafted Brandon Brandon Graham back over, we're talking about a decade now, over a decade ago. Brandon Graham has been a mainstay on this Eagles defense. Let's talk about what they saw from Brandon Graham when he was coming out of college on our Scout Stories. Pull up a seat. It's time for Scout Stories. Well, joining us this week here on the Journey of the Draft podcast to talk about Eagles defensive end Brandon Graham during his days uh, at the University of Michigan is Eagles Senior Director of College Scouting, Anthony Patch. And Patch, uh, welcome back to the show, man. Excited to talk about uh, BG. And I remember uh, the big thing was he had that huge senior bowl in 2010 and obviously was a really productive player uh, at Michigan. Excited to get your memories of the pre-draft process when it came to BG. Yeah, you said it right, Fran. I mean, that senior bowl was unbelievable. You know, both sides. I mean, he just he 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 showed it all. You know, just was in. I, I just remember one on one sitting in the end zone that 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 uh, senior bowl then. And um, I'll tell you what, just a, a great week. And the interview was even better. I mean, he is he hasn't changed, Fran, in the time we <laughs> yep. he hasn't. I mean, yep. he hasn't. He bleeds big blue and he bleeds eagle green. I mean, through and through. Smile on the face. I mean, every day. I remember sitting in an interview him in Mobile and um, the same thing. I said, I love this kid. And, um, you know, and you see him now. He, he, you know, I'm not in the office every day, but if I come in, whatever, a few months, it's like he's my best friend. Big <laughs> smile. And he, he say anything about Michigan. He's all fired up. And, you know, uh, he's everything we asked for. You know, Trent Cole. And I think we had Darren Howard at the time, kind of at the end of their careers. And, you know, we took uh, and Brandon and, you know, we talked to our staff and he, he bleeds green and he's what you want from effort, relentless, how you work and how you approach, you know, practice um, games and everything. He, he's, a, he's a true example of him and Vinnie Curry um, mm. of, you know, what we want and, uh, you know, guys, just effort and uh, whatnot, you know, you know, enjoying the game. He enjoys the game. He enjoys playing the game. And that's, you know, that's what we look for. And, uh, you know, even to this day, you know, let's see, 10 years in now, 10 years. Yeah. And uh, so the, the thing that always stands out to me thinking about BG and his career has been like the, the mental toughness and the ability to kind of play, fight through adversity because, you know, he, and he's talked about this. He's heard the noise from uh, early in his career. Oh, he was a bust. The Eagles should have taken Earl Thomas. They should have done this. They should have done that. Uh, he was a backup. You know, the Eagles go, they go out and they sign Jason Babb and they bring in Connor Barwin. Uh, you know, you mentioned Darren Howard was here. Trent Cole was here. You know, they draft Vinnie Curry in the second round. And he, they had the change in system. They go from 4-3 to 3-4 and back. And BG outlasts all of it and played at such a, a consistently high level over the course of this, you know, the, the last seven, eight years. Um, to, to me, like, that's the, when you're talking about the off-field character traits you're looking for in those guys, like, that's what you're looking for, right, is those guys to be able to fight through that level of adversity and still 
be the same guy. Yeah, he's just two R words, res- resilient and relentless. You know, he's just, you know, whatever was thrown his way early in his career there, you know, I remember those times. But he pushed through and, you know, um, she's sure enough, you know, your fourth quarter in, in uh, Minnesota and who makes the biggest play, you know, when we need it, you know, a stop, you know, makes a big play. And, you know, Lombardi is part and due. I mean, that second half and he, he, he we, you know, you're just praying something happens and he makes that play. And uh, Derek scoops it up and, you know, he just, you know, he comes through, you know, whatever it is, you know, I don't know, Fran, you said, you said it all. And the Michigan, the background was, you know, excellent what they spoke there. And, you know, I'll tell you what, man, you don't get a bigger smile when you say big blue to that guy, though. That's, right. that's all you have to say. And he'll, he'll grow even bigger, you know, that's right. So know he, that's he loves right. Michigan and uh, he bleeds eagle green. So. Well, Patch, this was fun, man. Really appreciate you joining us once again uh, to talk about Eagles defensive end Brandon Graham. Stay safe, stay healthy. We'll talk to you again soon, man. Been fun, Fran. Thank you. Before we continue with this episode, it's really important that I just talk to you guys about voting. In many states, this week is the deadline for registering to vote. Here in Pennsylvania, where I'm at right now, that date isn't until October 19th, so I still got some time. But in New Jersey, it's October 13th. That's a week from now. In Delaware, it's even less. That deadline is October 10th. You cannot register to vote at the polls on Election Day. You need to be registered beforehand. You need to check and make sure that wherever you live, whatever state you're in, that you are registered and you beat that deadline. If you need help with registering to vote, all you need to do is text EAGLES, E-A-G-L-E-S, to 26797. Again, that's EAGLES to the number 26797. You can get registered to vote just like that. Once you register... Then you can figure out what's the best method for you to vote. Whether you vote by mail, you vote early, you can go and vote early in person, which is happening all across the country right now, or you can vote in person on Election Day on November 3rd. But please, I've been saying this now on the show for a couple of weeks now, 100 million eligible voters did not participate in the general election four years ago. We need to fix that. Please do what you can to help lower that number. It is all of our civic duty to make sure that all of our voices are heard. Get out and vote on November 3rd. Now it's time to hear from you, the fans, in the Draft Mailbag. All right, well, like I said earlier, the best way to throw us your support is to go into Apple Podcasts or Stitcher, leave us a rating, and leave us a comment. And I want to give a shout-out to someone who did exactly that over the last couple of days, and that's CMART923, who left a five-star review saying, Hi, friend, long-time listener and a huge fan of the draft. So wanted to share a mock draft that I did on the Draft Network. I made a few trades. He traded up in round one. He traded back in round two. Let's go through the picks here. He had the Eagles trading up to number 10 overall to take Virginia Tech cornerback Caleb Farley. In round two, he's got the Eagles selecting tight end Brevin Jordan. Again, that was in a trade down, uh, the athletic tight end from the Hurricanes. Third round, safety Andre Sisco from Syracuse. Round four, you've got defensive end Victor DiMichiche. Round four after that, you've got Tyreek Smith, the pass rusher from Ohio State. And then the draft gets rounded out with Northwestern linebacker Patty Fisher and Louisville wide receiver Des Fitzpatrick. He says that he went heavy in certain areas due to salary cap issues, and he projected a few of the Eagles, uh, a few of the moves that the Eagles could make in the offseason. Um, closed it by saying, please be critical of this mock draft in terms of player, fit with the Eagles, and where in the draft these players were selected. Thank you. So my overall takeaways, look, uh, I said on this podcast, podcast. 
many times. Caleb Farley, really, really intriguing player. And I feel like that range, 10th overall, that sounds about right. So I, I like the pick. I like the value. It makes sense in my mind. Would not shock me if Farley goes a little bit earlier than that. I don't see him falling too much further past that, even without playing a down here uh, this fall. Obviously, he was one of the first player to opt out of college football action. But this kid is long. He is explosive. He is an easy-moving athlete. The tools are all there for him to be a really, really effective man corner. Uh, he can also he's played a lot of press co- or a lot of zone coverage as well. He's got the tools to be a really good press player up at the line of scrimmage. Even though they made uh, they mainly played off man uh, at Virginia Tech, he's got the skills to really do whatever you need in the secondary at the cornerback spot. So uh, Caleb Farley, really really high on him. Having him with Darius Slay on opposite sides would be really fun uh, to be able to watch. Brevin Jordan, really fun player. You know, obviously one of the more athletic specimens uh, at the tight end position. Only a junior, so we don't know if he's going to declare or not, but uh, certainly don't dislike the pick, especially late in round two. Uh, this is a guy who can be a matchup kind of nightmare uh, in the NFL. You see the kind of things that, uh, you know, really, I mean, that's where the position's going, right? But you look at what Darren Waller has been uh, for the Las Vegas Raiders over the last couple of years as a volume-heavy target, as a pass catcher. Um, you look at what Jared Cook and Delaney Walker, and, you know, there are all kinds of guys that have that level of athleticism, even if they're a little bit on the smaller side for a tight end, you know, what they can do in the passing game kind of outweighs that third round Andre Cisco look I've talked about him on the show uh, we t- we had Mike Renner from Pro Football Focus on a couple of weeks ago you talk about Cisco he is a playmaking machine he is a he is a ball hawk playing in the post he can play from sideline to sideline he's got the ability to finish on the ball maybe the best ball skills of any defensive back period in this draft but he'll also give up some big plays too. And you know, with his eyes, uh, you'll miss some tackles coming downhill. So every coach is going to view that differently. And if they say that, you know some of the issues we can correct, and a lot of that might get solved, uh, you know, when they do those one-on-one meetings, you know, whether um, you know it's at the combine or the senior bowl or visits, they get a sense of yeah, I can work with this guy, and we can correct some of the mistakes he's made. Or you might go the other way and say, we can't fix it. And that's going to greatly affect where and uh, where and how early he gets drafted. But Andre Sisco, there's no question, this guy can play in the post. He can make plays sideline to sideline. You know, Marcus Williams, I think the, the safety out of Utah a couple of years ago, I had similar questions about. I didn't think that he was going to go that high. He ended up going in the second round, and he's been a starter since day one for the New Orleans Saints. So I, I think when you look at Sisco, he certainly will find a home in the league. I'm interested to see how high he goes. He very well could go much earlier than uh, the mid-third round. So, um, you know, certainly a guy that is very, very intriguing. Uh, after that, just looking at the day four picks, Dimakije is a really try-hard defensive end from Duke. Maybe a little bit earlier than I would imagine, but uh, with all the character stuff that he brings to the table, all the off-field stuff, uh, that does not surprise me at all. Patty Fisher, same thing. This guy's been a long-time starter, very productive player at Northwestern. I think he's pretty similar uh, in some ways to T.J. Edwards. I think T.J. Edwards uh, maybe has brought a little bit more in terms of the passing game and what he did at Wisconsin was never a high-level athlete, but I thought he played a little bit better or played a little bit faster than the way he timed, and he was always around the football. You saw his, his uh, production in college, you know, pass breakups, interceptions, things of that nature. He was always around the football and haven't quite necessarily seen that uh, with Patty Fisher as, as much. And then uh, Des Fitzpatrick, look, playing across from 2-2 Atwell, he's continuing to still make big plays in that Louisville offense. So the Eagles continue to add uh, some juice to that receiver room. So uh, really good stuff there from CMart923. And again, if you've got a mock draft that you want to do, you want us to talk about it, you go on the Apple Podcast page, you leave us a, uh, a review with that mock draft in the comments section, you leave us a rating, we'll answer it right here on the show. And if you've got any other questions, throw it up there and we'll answer it right here in this segment. That being said, 
I think we'll wrap this one up. Really fun episode here of the Journey of the Draft podcast driven by AAA. Hope you guys enjoyed uh, our new Scout Story segment. We'll be doing that every single week here now on the show, once a week in our early episode of the week. Uh, so I hope you guys enjoyed that. Until then, we'll see you later this week. Ben Fennell will be back. We've got Ross Tucker will be back. Hoping we're going to get one more big guest. And I think I know who we're going to get, but not confirmed as of this recording. But uh, yeah, big things on the way here on the Journey of the Draft podcast driven by AAA.